All right, good morning, fellowship. How's everybody doing? You guys good? Hey, you guys want to stand up with me? All right, there's new mercies this morning, and there's joy that we're going to find uh, in the presence of the Lord. Uh, we're going to sing out, and so I want to invite you guys into that, okay? Look to your right, give somebody a high five, give them a hug. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning, everybody. You guys can grab a seat. 
Hey, happy almost 4th of July. I'm so glad that you guys are here. My name is Dylan Grimes, and I uh, get to be a part of our students' team. If I haven't met you, please come and introduce yourself. I would love to meet you. One of my biggest passions in life is getting to walk alongside students as they taste and see that following Jesus is just so much better than anything that the world has to offer. Uh, and one of the ways that we as a students team get to do that is every year we take our upcoming senior guys and girls um, to Colorado for just a space to evaluate where they're at in their discipleship to Jesus. Uh, they get to belong with one another in biblical community, and we get to cast vision for what they want their senior year to look like as leaders in the church ministry, but also leaders in their schools, and just get to pray expectantly for what the Lord is going to do in and through them uh, this next year. Uh, and we just got back from that trip yesterday. Um, here are a few pictures of, of that trip, and it was incredible. Um, we got to see the Lord work in incredible ways in students' hearts, and the Lord answered so many huge prayers. Um, not only did they get to worship through just seeing God's creation, but the students got to spend time in the word. Um, they confessed sin, some of them for the first time, of ways that the, the enemy has had a hold on their lives and got to understand what it looks like to bring that into the light and have community and then they just got encouraged by one another in their walks with Jesus. Uh, and something that stood out to me as I was just hanging out with the guys was that they, they kept saying that they were just grateful for a time to step away from the busyness of life and just enjoy time to reflect on where they're at with the Lord. Um, and, and I'm sure that us taking their phones did help a little bit with that. Uh, but... It made me think, how often do I just miss out on what the Lord has for me because I'm just going from thing to thing to thing? Uh, and how could the Lord be moving if I took a step back and just saw where he was inviting me in to moments? So I think my prayer this morning and, and as we continue through this rhythm series is that we would learn what it looks like to do that in our everyday lives, that we wouldn't just need a retreat or a vacation, but that we would see how the Lord is moving um, and that we could keep in step with the Spirit as Paul writes about in his letter to the Galatians. Um, if you're here last week, you got to see a video uh, of how we at Fellowship Bentonville are partnering with Samaritan um, Community Center to just fill backpacks. These are the things that they are looking for. You can scan that QR code. Uh, but if you came in the foyer, you saw we have a bunch of blue bins. Um, and they're, they're just simple things that... For me, I take for granted so often, but these things can be such a big blessing to those that don't have the resources to get things like this. So if you're interested in doing that, uh, those bins will be out here the next couple weeks until July 16th. Uh, as you came in, you probably noticed that there are communion elements. If you didn't grab those or if you came in the side, uh, you can just wave at one of our ushers and they can give you that. Or if you'd like, you can go back and grab that. You'll hold on to that until the end of service and we will uh, partake in communion together as a body. Earlier this morning at the 845 service, we got the opportunity to celebrate life change. Anna McClay uh, chose to follow Jesus and wanted to profess her faith in front of her church family. So here's a little picture of her getting baptized earlier this morning. Let's go ahead and give a shout of praise for her. It is so sweet to get to gather as a body and just get to celebrate people that have chosen to put their trust in Jesus. And to start our morning, um, as we've been going through this rhythm, rhythm series, uh, we like to just hear from people that are, are doing these things. And so we're going to get to hear from Beth. She's going to come on up. She's one of our global partners, and she's going to share about a Bible uh, study method that she uses um, in her life. Come on up, Beth. Good morning, Fellowship. It is such a privilege and honor to be here with you to share um, about a tool I use to study the Bible with people. Um, it's called Discovery Bible Study. Some people know it affectionately as DBS. Um, and it has been transformational. This is a tool that can be used with unbelievers, 
new believers or mature believers, it doesn't matter because God's word speaks and it's amazing um, to get to be a part of uh, just watching that happen in people's lives. So I just wanted to share a little bit. Um, you know, it actually, I actually grew up in a religious household. I didn't know how to study the Bible. Um, and I had one of those moments, I don't know if anyone can relate, that I was like 12 and like going through a really hard thing season. And I grab a Bible and I do the flip it open, Lord, and talk to me, even though I've never studied the Bible. And I thought I was reading a foreign language, honestly. It's, it scared me and it hindered me. And I let the enemy use it in my life. So I want that to be an encouragement to you that if that's your story, please listen up. I would love to share this with you because um, I know God speaks through this. So, um, th yeah, this was just a heavy burden for me because I wanted to be able to study scripture and I had like, this was up into my adult years. So I had three elementary age kids, girls, and um, I didn't know how to teach them. And we talk here at Fellowship about owning the spiritual development of our kids, right? And I, I couldn't do that. Um, and it broke my heart and I really wanted. So I prayed. And the Lord put this tool in front of me um, and it's been amazing. Um, so I um, just wanna share. Uh, it's up on the screen. So it's seven really simple questions. Um, I was excited to be able to share this with my girls. We started doing what we affectionately called study time. Uh, once a week after school, we would go and we would talk through these questions and answer them with each other. Um, and it was just incredible to see how the Holy Spirit would work um, through the word. So I'm gonna real quickly try to just give you a little taste of what these questions one and two help build trust and transparency in a group. Um, and they help us to know how to pray for each other. Uh, questions three and four help people discover truth about God and people. Um, John 16, 13 says the spirit guides us into all truth. And it's a beautiful thing to watch that happen. Um, Questions five and six give us the opportunity to ask the Lord, if I believe this story or these verses are true, what do I need to change this week? A lot of people will call this an I will statement. Um, it's just a chance for us to listen and hear from the Holy Spirit and obey. Um, Matthew 28 tells us to go and, and teach people how to obey. And so that's a big piece. Um, and then question seven is really key for seeing God's word just spread. So it's, who can I share this story with? It's giving away God's word to people, sharing the story you just studied this week with someone else. Um, and it's what God uses, um, his word, to draw people. So um, John 6:44 does say that God draws. So I just pray that you would ask God to, to show you those people who he's drawing and to give away his word, share, share a story with them that you've been reading in scripture and share this tool um, and help them understand and just pray that God would multiply his kingdom. Um, I appreciate the simplicity of this tool. It's really easy. And I've not only seen it change my life, um, our daughter's lives, um, but also the lives of other people in a very different culture and spiritual context. So it's really, really amazing when you teach someone to use this tool and then your daughter starts small groups and teaches other people to use the tool. It's just, it's a multiplying effect and it's so, so good. So um, let's pray. Lord, the, the Bible is your story, Lord. Your story of your heart for the nations, for all peoples to hear. Lord, and I just pray against the enemy because I know he wants to make us think that we can't understand. Um, or maybe we're in a season where we're mature believers and we feel like we've read it all and heard all the stories and know all the things. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall afresh on this community, Lord. Lord, would you do a mighty work to help people know your heart for them, for their neighbor, and for the world. We ask these things in your son's name, amen. Amen, thank you, Beth. You know, today we're gonna to be talking about confession and we're gonna do that through uh, spoken word. We're gonna do it through song this morning and Doug's gonna be teaching us a little bit later and we'll have communion. So a lot of really special stuff with baptism and celebrating 
uh, all of that. So I want to invite you guys into this song. It'll be a familiar one that Shelby and Sean are going to lead us in. Uh, but talking about the pursuit of the Lord of us, that we can confess together as a church um, where we've fallen short, that we're going to sing a verse that we're prone to wander, and we're going to do that together. So I want to invite you guys in. How your kindness yet pursues me, how your mercy never fails me till the day death shall lose me.
you but in moments like that you know James 5 it talks about uh, this confession idea of confessing to one another and I think in a corporate song like that that we could sing I am prone to wonder and I don't know about you but for me when I have brothers and sisters standing with me to, to sing out a struggle there's power in it there's unity in it. There's freedom and healing in it. And that's what we want to do this morning. Where we can lift up a song and say, Jesus, you pursue us. You pursue us even when we're prone to wonder. Forgive us, Lord. In First John, it says he's faithful to forgive when we confess. So there's going to be some words on the screen. I want you guys to read this with me. I'll read the leader portion. You read the all. And we'll confess this together as the body. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us of our sin. We are in need of a savior. Just stand with me and let's sing, or let's say this out together. This is the good news. Church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever, amen. And that is what we cling to this morning together. That is the good news. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven. And spoke your name into the night Into the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ my living home Who could imagine So great a mercy What heart, what heart could fathom Such boundless place The God, the God of Israel 
or cry. Oh, just those simple words of I depend on you. Father, we confess it this morning that we are nothing without you, that we need you. Would that posture take us into this time in your word? Even in this, opening up your word, we need you. We depend on you. Open our eyes, open our ears. Jesus, we want to hear your voice. We want more of you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's go have a seat. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I want to begin by just... Uh, kind of reminding us what spiritual formation is as we continue in our study of rhythm. So I'm going to go back to the definition that uh, Hunter, I think, gave to us in the beginning. A spiritual formation is the Spirit of God forming the people of God more and more into the image or the likeness of the Son of God. It is a work of the Spirit that uh, He does within us to shape and form us to make us more like Jesus. It is supernatural, but it's not weird and strange and mystic and all of that. And so uh, I want to kind of just remind us, it is just simply the work of God within us, but he calls us to participate in it. And what we can do to participate in our spiritual formation is creating space and opportunity for the Spirit to do this work in us. One of the ways that followers of Jesus has, have created this space down through the ages is by the development of spiritual rhythms or holy habits, as, as one writer called them, these, these practices that we develop on a regular basis that create space and time and opportunity for the Spirit to do what He longs to do in forming us into the image of Christ. And so when we talk about developing spiritual rhythms, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about creating these spaces and times. And we've talked about rhythms of doing things and rhythms of not doing things. And, and so, we, but all of that has to do with just giving the place for the Spirit to work. The rhythm we're going to be looking at today is confession. And before we go any further, there's something I need to confess. So what went through your mind when I said that? Were you uncomfortable? I remember early on in my ministry, uh, just felt led during a teaching to be share a little transparency and a struggle that I was having. I didn't go into a lot of details, just mentioned it. 
and was accosted afterwards by a church member, an older gentleman, who said, we don't need to hear that. And then I had a, another member in that, same, uh, in that same teaching that came and said, I am so grateful that you were able to share that. But it can make us uncomfortable, can't it, to think about confession. Maybe it made you curious. Huh, what is he going to say? Possibly spark some internal fears about your own struggles. Let's just go ahead and admit that the rhythm of confession is probably one of the, the more difficult and less comfortable ones on the front end of all of these rhythms. Let's just go ahead and admit it. Nobody gets excited about, hey, our community group is, is meeting this week. And I've got my list of sins. I've never heard anybody say that. I am so excited to go and tell them everything I've done wrong this week. I have some friends that grew up in a Catholic tradition and, and confession was a, a significant part of their tradition. I didn't have any of those friends ever tell me they look forward to confession. Man, confession day was the best day of my life. We don't enjoy this. It is not natural for us as fallen human beings to want to get out and, and publicly or even privately proclaim the things that we've done wrong. It is one of the most unpleasant or difficult practices to do, but I promise you, I promise you, by the grace of God and the, and the authority of the Word of God, it's a good rhythm. It is good. And when you develop this practice, it will not only be good for you, you will be glad that you did. I promise you. If you've been practicing being the rhythm of being in the Word that Mark talked to us, uh, talked to us about last week, then I suspect that you are probably ready for the rhythm of confession. Because whenever we sit under the Word, it begins to show things to us. There's a story of a man who gave a friend of his who was not a follower of Jesus a Bible and said, I want you to read this every day for a week. And at the end of a week, this man brought the Bible back and said, here, take your book back. And he said, why? He said, because every time I read it, it kicks me. When we sit under the word of God, the truth of scripture begins to show us everywhere we fail to line up with that truth. And so if you've been practicing the rhythm of being in the Word, then you are ready for the rhythm of confession. Now, for some of these practices, we, we're looking to the example of Jesus and how he modeled these rhythms in his life. This is not one that Jesus ever practiced. He never had to. There was never a time when Jesus had to go to the Father and say, I did this wrong, or I failed to do this, or I didn't measure up. He never had to practice this. But we do have some examples in Scripture of, of people who did model this, this rhythm of confession to us. And so we're going to be looking at one of those in Psalm 32. So if you want to be finding your way to Psalm 32, we're going to be reading the first five verses. If you are able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. It did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let's pray. O holy and righteous Father, we stand before you acknowledging that we are under your word. Holy Spirit, would you right now search our hearts, test our thoughts, and reveal to us any sinful ways in our lives today. Jesus, Lord and Savior, 
be our prophet and our priest today. Speak truth to our heart and stand on our behalf. We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. As we work through this rhythm of confession today, we're going to begin by looking at the principle of confession. What is it? How does it work? And why do we need to do that? And then we're going to close with some real practical examples or ideas about how we might begin to develop this rhythm in our lives. But let me set the stage of, this, of the text that we just read in Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and its companion psalm, Psalm 51, and I'll be referring to, to it as well, they come together at a particular time in David's life. The writer, King David, the king of Israel, uh, had gone through a time of great sin in his life. He committed adultery with a, with a woman named Bathsheba. She had gotten pregnant, and in an effort for him to cover up his sin and all the convolutions that he went through, eventually David has her husband killed in battle. God sends a prophet to confront David about his sin. And David confesses his sin. And Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are his writing about that, that, that experience of the sin in his life, the confrontation, and the confession. So let's walk through these verses in Psalm 32 and see what the practice of confession looked like as David modeled it. Number one, he begins by talking about what sin is. When the Bible talks about confessing Confessing sin, and when you talk about confession, it almost always is talking about confessing sin. And so what is it that we are confessing? What is it that we are saying that we have done or, or we're talking about to the Lord? And he uses three, three words for sin in these first two verses. The first one is the word transgression. He said, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. The word transgression carries the idea of a defiant disobedience. It's the attitude that says, I know you told me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know it's wrong, but I don't care. I know I shouldn't, but I want it anyway. It's the idea of there is no deceit, there's no trickery, there's nothing involved here. I know full well what I'm doing. Boundaries are set, and then they are intentionally crossed. The focus on this word has to do with our actions, our conscious choices to do or not do something, to do what is wrong and forbidden or to not do what is commanded. Transgression has to do with our behavior, the things that we do. The second word that he uses is translated in my, in my version is translated sin. And this word carries the idea of to be deficient in righteousness, to not measure up to a required standard, or quite simply, to fall short. The book of Romans says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The measure of, of the standard is the glory of God, the righteousness of God. We love to compare ourselves to other people. Well, at least I'm not as bad as, and you insert the name of the person next to you here. I'm not that bad. At least I'm not as bad as that really bad person that I see on social media or the internet or whatever. We love, one of the things we love about this access to all these people who are doing all these bad things is it makes us feel better about ourselves. At least I'm not that bad. And so we compare ourselves with ourselves to try to make ourselves feel better. But the standard that we are required, the standard that we are called to, is the standard of Jesus Christ who never had to confess. And we've all fallen short of that. One guy described it this way. Let's say that God's standard for righteousness is that you had to swim across the Atlantic Ocean. And so you and I take off. I'm a terrible swimmer, and so about three to five minutes in, I'm on the bottom of the ocean. I'm fish food. It's over. But you're a good swimmer, and you swim a mile, 
and you swim another mile, and you swim another mile, and I don't know how many miles you can swim, but I can promise you at some point you're on the bottom of the ocean too because you can't make it. Now, you may be a way better swimmer than I am, but you still fall short of the requirement. And so by measuring ourselves, I may be not nearly as good a moral person as you are, but neither of us are anywhere near the righteousness of God. That's what this word means. That we all, in our character, in our nature, we fail to measure up. So this is not about behavior. It's about who we are in our character and in our nature. The third word he uses is translated iniquity. To whom the, the, the Lord counts no iniquity. The idea behind this word is to bend or twist or to distort what is right. And I can't think of a better illustration of this is than when we go back to the, the Garden of Eden with the serpent and Adam and Eve. And the serpent said, did God really say, and what did he mean? And he began to twist the words. Well, no, 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 that's not really what he meant. What he meant was, you see, every one of us has this wonderful ability as fallen human beings to justify anything we want. Listen, if you can't justify what you're doing or what you want to do, you're not trying hard enough. We have that ability. We can make things that are wrong seem right. And we can make things that are right seem wrong. That is iniquity. That's what he's talking about. So if transgression has to do with our behavior and sin has to do with our nature, iniquity has to do with how we think and how we see the world. And so when we are confessing to God, the things that are wrong in our lives, the things that, that need to be dealt with. We're talking about not only things we've done and undone, but the very nature of who we are and how we think and how we see the world. So after talking about what is the sin that I am confessing, then secondly, he moves on, well, what happens when we try to cover our sin? Because again, it is our nature not to be open and, and honest with our sin, but to hide it. Again, back to the, the garden and Adam and Eve, the first response when they sinned was to run and hide. We're afraid of being found out. We're afraid of, of what might happen, and so we, we don't deal with it. So David said in verse 3, when I kept silent, which means he was aware of it. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't know that I had done that sin. I didn't realize that. I mean, no. When I kept silent meant he was making a choice not to deal with it. When I kept silent, what happened? My bones wasted away, and your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up. And then there are many things in Psalm 51 that he describes what was going on. So what happens when we try to conceal and cover up our sin? I think it hits us in three areas. Number one, it hits us physically. It is no mystery. It is no hidden fact that when we hold sin inside and we don't confess it, it will eat us from the inside out. Look at how he described it. He said, my bones wasted away. In Psalm 51, he said, it felt like my bones were broken. The physical struggle of what he was going through. My strength was dried up. I didn't have any energy left. I couldn't sleep at night. That's what sin will do to you. Those are the physical things that he says happened to him, and those are the things that, that this internal sin will do to you, but it also it affects us mentally and emotionally. Again, when we read uh, here in primary, and over in, in Psalm 51, we read about things that talk about sadness and depression, and anxiety, and fear, and loneliness. Those are all things that, that David expressed he was going through because there was unconfessed sin in his heart. Now hear me, I'm not saying that if you struggle with, with sadness and depression, anxiety, and fear, and loneliness, 
But it's only because of that. What I'm saying is that will cause those things. So it affects us mentally and emotionally. And then finally, it affects us spiritually. In Psalm 51, he uses words like uncleanness. I had a wrong spirit. I had a broken relationship with God and my joy was lost. It has a spiritual impact when we try to hide our sin. Now with that in mind, that picture of what's the impact of this hidden sin, and then we go back to how does he begin verse or chapter 32? Blessed. Last week, Mark taught us that that word means to be whole or wholesome. Things are as they should be. That's a contrast, isn't it? Blessed is the man who's not concealing his sin. Blessed is the person who's not trying to hide their sin. So then the third thing he talks about is choosing to confess our sin to God. So he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He makes the choice to acknowledge his sin to God and confess. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> the word confess means uh, simply to, in general, to acknowledge the truth of something or to admit that something is true. When used of sin, then, it means to acknowledge and admit our sin to God. This shows up in verse 2 at the end where he says, in, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That word, that phrase, no deceit, it means it's not covered, it's not hidden. That my spirit is open to the Lord and I'm not trying to hide my sin. I'm admitting it. I'm acknowledging it. I'm owning my sin. It's echoed then in verse 5 when he said, I acknowledged and I did not cover up. Confession begins with owning the truth of our sinfulness. No excuses, no blame shifting, no diminishing, no downplaying its significance. We own it and say, this is what is true. The psalmist said in 51, Psalm 51, 3 and 4, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's owning it. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The same idea of confession is found in, in the New Testament and then it's even expanded. The New Testament word for confession means literally to say these same words. To say the same words as someone else or it's often translated to agree. The idea is that we say the same thing about our sin that God says. So not only does it mean we agree with God that we have sinned, yes, Lord, I have sinned. We agree with God about our sin, and this is what that sin is, and this is what that sin is like, and this is what that sin does here are the consequences of that sin. We agree with God about our sin. You see, I found you don't have to work really hard to convince me that I am a sinner. But I have a hard time really opening up and owning really what that sin is like. I believe it was Tim Keller was the first one that I heard say, your sin is far worse than you think. Because none of us want to think of our sin the way it really is. It was a mistake. It was a lapse in judgment. It was an unfortunate choice. What if David had said that about what he did? Adultery and murder and lying and deceit, a mistake, a lapse in judgment. If any of those things had happened to any of you, you wouldn't have accepted that as an excuse. And yet we try to give ourselves permission to do that. We have to agree with God that our sin is what it is. That's confession. Confession. 
So the biblical idea of confession means that we fully admit and we own our sin and we agree with God that it is what it is. But thankfully, he doesn't stop there. The fourth thing he does is he talks about receiving forgiveness from God. You see, if we're going to agree with God about our sin, we're going to agree with him about everything about our sin. And here's what he says about our sin, Psalm 32. I will confess, and you forgave. If we confess, God forgives. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. The Bible says about our sin that when we confess it, God forgives. You see, we have to embrace that because confession of sin without the assurance of pardon leads us to being stuck in guilt and shame. That's why when we did that corporate confession, We didn't just say, here are all the things we've done wrong. We moved on to the assurance, and this is what God has done for us. I don't think God's a big fan of worm theology, where we just fall in front of him and say, God, I'm just a worm, and we leave it there. Because we're not hearing what he says. Because what he says to us, when we fall in front of him and say, God, I'm a sinner, and I'm in desperate need of a Savior, he looks at us and goes, I know, and I'm your Savior. You're not a worm. You're my child. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You are made whole. You are righteous. Those are the things that he says about us and about our sin. Just like he uses three words to describe sin, he uses three words also to describe forgiveness. And let's look at those real quickly. The first word he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The the word here means to take away, to lift something off, or to remove something from us. In Psalm 51, he he likes to use the the picture of being washed. So something is on my skin and it's washed off and it's removed from me. And so he says, blessed is the one that God takes the sin off of. We don't bear it anymore. It's not on us anymore. The second word he uses is he says, whose sin is covered. The word covered means to be removed from sight. So not only is it removed from us, it's removed from the sight of God. God doesn't see it anymore. When someone has wronged me, I pull out the file drawer. I pull out the file that says, all the things this person has ever done to me and I write it on the bottom and I say, oh, I forgive you and I put it back in the file drawer. And the next time they do something wrong, I go to that same file drawer, I pull out that same thing and I go, oh, there's another one. Okay, I'll write it. God doesn't have file drawers. The Bible tells us that when God covers our sin, when he forgives us, he casts it away from his presence as far as the east is from the west. Now, it took me a while because I guess I'm uh, geographically challenged. It took me a while to understand the significance of that. And someone finally said, hey, if, here's the deal. If you are going east, if all you ever do is go east, do you ever go west? And it dawned on me, no. You just keep going east all the time. Oh, he casts it away from himself and he never runs into it again. God doesn't have file drawers. Not only is it removed from us, it's covered from his sight. And thirdly, he says, it is not counted against us. This is the idea of the cancellation of a debt, a removal of the balance on our account. We don't owe God anything for it. When we confess and we are forgiven, There is nothing you can do to atone to God for what you've done. It's done. Jesus did it for you. You don't have to keep trying to make up for it. You don't have to keep trying harder to be better, to please God. That's what he says. 
that he does not attribute it to our account. He doesn't hold it against us. So we don't bear it. God doesn't see it and God doesn't hold it against us. That's why we need to confess. Because our sin is worse than we think, but God's forgiveness is greater than we can imagine when we confess. So real quickly, let's turn our attention to the practice of confession. I'm going to give you four ideas. These are just starting points. But again, just some ideas that where you might start to build this rhythm of confession in your life. First of all, daily. An end of the day examination. Setting time at the end of your day where you get away from people, you get away from screens, you get away from uh, noise, and you just sit before God and evaluate your day. And this is what you say. God, will you show me any acts of willful disobedience, any ways that I failed to measure up, or any wrong thinking that I have embraced today? And then you listen. And whatever he says, and he brings things to mind, you simply pray, and you admit to God, and agree with God, and accept his forgiveness on a daily basis at the end of the day. About a weekly rhythm. Maybe you set aside a time one day a week where you do a deeper time of investigation and you say, you maybe pray through a passage of Scripture and I've got some recommendations, uh, maybe Psalm 51 or the Sermon on the Mount or the Ten Commandments, places where God reveals His righteous heart to you. And you take time to pray through that, and this is what you say. God, would you show me any way that I have not aligned with your heart in these commands? Let me give you a real quick example of that. The last of the Ten Commandments is you shall not covet. So maybe this is my prayer. God, how have I treasured something that is not what you want for me or placed a higher value on something than I should? I admit to you that I'm letting this thing have control over my life. God, you say that coveting is idolatry, what you say about it. So I agree with you that this thing has become a God to me, and I ask you to forgive me. God, I receive your forgiveness through the work of Jesus and ask that you break the power of this thing over me. Again, just praying Scripture and asking God to reveal. Third, in community. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Find a trusted friend or community where you can be honest about your sin. You hear us say this all the time at fellowship. You need to be in community with other believers. You need to be walking this journey with Christ together with other believers. It is essential. It is important that you do that. Find these people Speak your sin out loud to them and ask them to pray for you. That's what the scripture says. Give them permission to continue to ask you how you're doing in that area and promise to be honest with them. Fourth, it's what I call just deeper work. Uh, in our Celebrate Recovery ministry, there's a practice you go through uh, called your inventory, and in it you ask God to show you ways that you sinned against him, against others, and against yourself, and then you literally make a list and begin working through it with the Lord, responding as he leads you to confess, to make amends when it's appropriate, and begin to receive Christ's healing forgiveness for those things. This kind of deeper work is best done in relationship with a trusted mentor or counselor. Those are just some ideas of ways to begin to develop the rhythm of confession. There's one other way, uh, the rhythm that we have of confession. It is a corporate rhythm that involves taking communion. So as we prepare to take communion this morning, let's, let me remind you of something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, talking to that church about gathering around the Lord's table. And he said, when you gather around the Lord's table, Examine yourself. And here's the reason for examination. 
Take stock of where your heart, your mind, and your life is in relationship with God and with sin. And as you become aware of ways you have sinned, don't run away from the table. Let that be what brings you to the table. Come to the table to be reminded that you are always in desperate need of a Savior and that you always have one because of what Jesus has done. So I want us to take a moment as we come to the table and just examine your heart. Lord, show us the ways where he, we've done things that we know are wrong and we haven't done the things that you've told us to do. Lord, show us the ways we've fallen short, the ways we've embraced and distorted wrong, embraced wrong thinking. And Lord, as you show us those things, we come remembering that there's grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please? As we take these elements, we remember the broken body of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Eat and drink and rejoice in God's grace to us. As always, if you have a need for prayer, you want something, somebody to pray with you or pray for you, Jeff and Chris over here would love to meet you and pray, pray with you. We have a community team in the foyer that if you're new or just want some information, they would love to visit with you, uh, and they'd love to, to be able to get to know you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are th so grateful that through your work for us on our behalf, the work of your Holy Spirit in us, we can walk in freedom and forgiveness, knowing that our sin is covered, taken away, and taken out of your sight. Lord, help us to walk in that freedom, and help us this week to share that freedom with those around us who don't.